What's happening, weirdos? This and every episode of You Made It Weird is brought to us by our friends at Charlotte's Web CBD. Get yourself some calm gummies. Go to charlottesweb.com slash weird and get some of their wonderful hemp into your life. Support the show. This is Heidi Gardner. Wonderful. Man, I love this chat. I don't know if you guys follow me on Instagram but we uh, or YouTube, but we've started uploading these little one-minute animations. My friend Katie Fischel has been animating little segments of the show, and we'll be doing that for the time being. And Heidi was the first one that we got to do. So maybe you saw that, and maybe that's why you're here. If so, welcome to the show. Uh, we talk about weird, weird stuff. <laughs> she was such a delight. Uh, as I always say, I want to get to it as quickly as possible. Um, this is, uh, I don't, I never know how to say this. It, it really helps a lot if guys, uh, and girls and people, um, human beings, uh, support the show by trying out one of our wonderful sponsors. This show is brought to us by our friends at Living Libations. You guys maybe not know this, maybe not know this, but I only do, um, ads for things that I actually use and love. And Living Libations has been a part of my skincare routine for, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years. Long time. Can't remember long time. I realized a while ago that I'm very mindful of what I put in my body, but I wasn't being very careful about what I put on my body. Frankly, I I didn't really know any better. I was buying shaving cream and face washes that I thought were fancy because they were expensive and they had French names, but actually they're just expensive garbage. They're full of chemicals and linked with disease and toxicity. They just weren't intended for humans. So I want to eat food where I recognize the ingredients and I want my skincare to be the same. So enter Living Libations. Living Libations, for example, makes an incredible ginger exfoliating scrub. Not only is it natural and wonderful with ingredients that you recognize, but it is the most badass exfoliating scrub, meaning it works. It's, it's, uh, it's got a texture that actually exfoliates. It's wonderful. It's the best I've found. They, I also shave with their Zen Shave, which is their uh, shaving cream. It's so clean and natural and moisturizing. You can actually use a dab of it as aftershave, not some anonymous blue neon goo shot out from a pressurized can. And at night, I use their Best Skin Ever Moisturizer. It smells great, it feels great, and it makes your skin look fantastic and radiant. Whatever your skin needs, your face, your body, your eyes, your teeth, we even got Leela on their baby products. Living Libations has a premium, natural, and wonderful product to replace the random chemical nightmare that they sell at 7-Eleven. There's Leela coming in the house. So go to livinglibations.com, promo code WEIRD, for 20% off. It's also brought to us by our friends at MeUndies. There's a way to support the show. If you enjoy this program and want to give back, everybody needs underwear. And I heard about MeUndies on other podcasts, and I did a complete top-to-tails overhaul of my underwear and Valerie's underwear, and we just haven't looked back. We love MeUndies. It's made from a micro-modal fabric. It's comfy as heck. It's the softest stuff we've found. It's like five times softer than cotton. It fits fantastic. The prints are fantastic. It just makes me feel happy when I pick my my fun print, or if it's more formal, maybe just a dark, simple color. They've got it all. They've also got onesies. They've got pajama pants that I love. Everything they make is fantastic. So, want to support the show? Get a couple pairs of underwear. Or, even better, sign up for their MeUndies membership. That's what I did. I get a subscription, sends me new pairs right to my door, plus site-wide savings and exclusive sales. It's a no-brainer. They have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to MeUndies.com slash weird. That's MeUndies.com slash weird. All right, guys. 
Enjoy Heidi Gardner, the fantastic, the wonderful. I so enjoyed this chat. I hope you do too. Get into it. Hello. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Heidi. (laughs) Right off the bat, my voice cracks and I'm a dork. All good. I'm so sorry. I'm embarrassed and I'm I'm threatened. I'm vulnerable. (laughs) Good. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm nervous that this is one of those <laughs> clickbait gotcha podcasts <laughs> to really get me. They sent you as a fake guest. Yeah. I actually had a dream about that. Oh, there's one of your cats. I saw that you have three cats. Yep. That's I, Cubby Bear. Cubby Bear. Hey, Cubby. I, you're not from Chicago, though. No. And I didn't even make the connection. My mom's from Chicago. But it works out. Because she, my mom likes the name. It does work out. So you can just sort of benefit that she thinks you're a Cubs fan. Yeah. Uh, But I I love that you have cats. I I am a cat person. My wife is allergic to cats. But I I like the, um, tell me about it, because I feel like it's an underappreciated animal that teaches subtlety and a great animal for a comedian because you have to earn it. It's not just yeah. like a dog that just gives you a dog is like a studio audience. It's all like juiced and like there's a warm up guy for the dog inside the dog. Yeah. The dog is his own warm up. But a cat is is sort of like it's sort of like Lorne. And I'm not even trying to force that. It like no. Lorne has like cat energy. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me that you like cats. But tell me about it. It's a great place to start. Hello, oh. nice to meet you. Tell me about your cats. Nice to meet you too. Um, so I have three cats, um, Marshall, Cubby Bear, and Tweaky, and um, two of them are 13 years old, and one of them is 10 years old. Is Tweaky, or this is, I don't know how to ask this, does he struggle with catnip or something? Like what, what is, why is he called Tweaky? So it's a girl, and because she's a tweaker, ever since we got her, she just, um, it's like she'll, she'll relax into a a hold or a cuddle and then and then she wakes herself up like she just tweaks she just can't help <laughs> so she literally tweaks yeah that's fun um and i yeah i love them i find them to be such good support oh my god this one's gonna run for food um <laughs> but the door is closed oh no hold on it's okay um, okay go ahead cubby <laughs> they're like you were saying there's support. They're like emotional support. Emotional support. Um, like, like, especially during this time of being indoors so much, I just feel like if it wasn't for my cats and my husband, but mostly my cats, <laughs> I think it would have been so much harder. Like um, in the really dark days of quarantine, it it was also, it was actually nice just to focus on them and watch them. And it's like, I have nothing else to do. So why don't I just be present with a cat? That's it, Heidi. I mean, I know it sort of sounds silly because it's a cat, but I don't think it's silly at all. I think I, I can feel you not wanting to be like, it's giving me meaning, but of course it's giving you meaning. I bet people get meaning from their plants at this time. Like we're having such rich inner realities, like literally inner, in your home. Yes. And if you have something that literally is scratching at your face to get you out of bed to feed it. That's like what we're sort of missing. We used to have our jobs, our mm-hmm. commutes, our routines, even the gym could be something like that for people, not me, but it could be for some people. So I, I feel that way about my daughter 
but I don't, I think you're having the same experience. I'm not, I'm not just saying that to include you. I don't think it matters if it's a daughter or a baby or, or a cat. I'm sorry. I think having meaning is having meaning. So that doesn't surprise yeah. me. I feel like everything was uh, adrenaline based a little bit before. I'm sure even like with, with kids, like it's like you have a kid and you have your work and, and you're still like, you're, you're trying to be present with your kid, but it was just adrenaline, adrenaline. That's right. Uh, Yeah. And now there's, there's no fear factor. There's no like, no, I got to do this. I only have 20 minutes. Like I wait, I, I, I had a rough one last night. Um, and my baby got up very early this morning but there's no rush. It's not like, it's actually sort of helping with parenting because I'm like, okay, I have to feed you, but it's not like I have to feed you and then I have to get in the car. I have to like meet the nanny. I'm going to go ahead and say something weird and see how you relate to it. Okay. I even like order less food and I'm realize like Postmates or whatever, or uh, Grubhub. And I'm like, I realized that the the even that being a part of your lifestyle adds just 0.05% stress, getting the door, getting the food. I know it's such a privileged problem, but anybody ordering a pizza, it's just like knowing someone's coming to my house. Yes. <laughs> I, think I've, I think I've said this before. So I sort of enjoy the simplicity, like you're take care of the cat. I'm take care of the baby. And we're ordering way less food. We're just cooking and staying at home. It's like, I always say it's like Little House on the Prairie. Are you enjoying that kind of lifestyle? I am enjoying that. Um, even with the food this week, I was I was making myself lunch, which I don't do a lot because it just feels like that's the middle of the day thing to ignore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I was chopping mushrooms. And as I was chopping mushrooms, I was like going through whatever else I needed to do this week and all this stuff. And I, this is so simple and, and stupid and, you know, see if you judge me on this. But I was like, um, how about, how about the whole time I do this? I just repeat the phrase in my head. I'm chopping mushrooms. All I'm doing is chopping mushrooms. Get out of here. That is so up my, that's so up my alley. We're being mugged right now. That's how up an alley we are. I, or to bring your husband, he's a comic book writer in. Yeah. We're so up my alley. Uh, our parents are being shot and we'll become the Batman. That's, that, they, please tell okay. him I said that. <laughs> I think you're, I think your husband is Bob Kane. Tell him I said that. I'll uh, tell Bob you said it. That's a wonderful mindful. And again, I'm not just uh, buttering your bread here. If people don't know how to be mindful or how to enjoy something simple, I've literally, I, I didn't make it up. I saw it on, a YouTube or something, but just saying what you're doing, I'm walking up the stairs, I'm walking up the stairs, or I'm washing a dish, I'm washing a dish, keeps you locked into what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I tell me in the mushrooms, did it sort of unlock some of the vividity, some of the vibrancy, even in a mundane task? Yes. And especially even once the mushrooms were cooked, you know, I'd made some greens and there were greens and peppers and tomatoes and mushrooms. But because I had been focusing on each thing, even my bites were different. Like, I was like, I just want to taste the mushroom. I don't yeah. want a bite of everything right now. And, and yeah, it just, uh, that presence, at least for me, I, I, had, I struggle with anxiety. And I'm realizing mm-hmm. so much of it is just future thinking. So uh, 
I am going back to basics and just repeating what I'm doing. Man, we've jumped right in and I love it. I just want to agree with you on two levels. One is that when you cook something yourself, you eat it way differently. Yeah. I've, I've never made myself a burrito, but I imagine if I did, I'd really be like, oh, the, the playful relationship between the spinach and the rice or whatever it is. Uh, what kind of a boring, healthy omelet uh, <laughs> burrito did I just make? But that's completely true. And you just said like such a valuable thing for me. I also have anxiety. I think everybody alive that's, that's, I, I'm not sure there's, there's some, I was once on a very turbulent airplane and I thought we were going to die. And the guy next to me was drinking coffee. So not all of us have anxiety. <laughs> I want to be that guy sometimes that I think you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Do you, mind, do you mind me asking how old you are? I, no, I'm 37. I just turned 37. I think we're still in the running. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> I think we can do it. I think it's not too late. Like the, the tracks aren't so like stiff that we can still become the guy. You're right. He's sort of a hero. Yeah. I'm on a turbulent airplane. I'm falling for the belief, literally believing a false story, that worrying about the plane crashing is going to help it not crash. It's like medieval medieval superstition, certainly linked to my religious upbringing, all that sort of stuff. So I'm like, my concentration and my panic is somehow keeping the plane aloft. And this motherfucker is like, I love coffee. (laughs) That'd be the end. I'm going to enjoy it. This is the best part of waking. <laughs> but he means that. Did you? Did, am I cutting out? I'm cutting. Out. And I'm back. Did you get my wonderful Folgers riff? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> but it, luckily, because it got elongated, so it's like your riff went went longer. Oh. So Sometimes the internet glitches help us out. Yeah. <laughs> but. You said it, and I hope everybody listening, if they struggle with anxiety, it's realizing, recognizing. For me, it's recognizing a a false belief or recognizing that you've projected yourself into a future that that isn't even real. So you've caught yourself doing that, like worrying about future, Heidi? Yes. And, and, you know, the biggest, (laughs) this is, again, so basic, but, you know, to overcome anything, I think, the awareness of having it. So I never, I never knew that I even had anxiety because I, that was just how my mind works. So I, I, I don't know. I just thought, it was but normal. anyhow, how, how I've um, caught it the last couple of years, the thing that's almost helped me the most was hearing or reading just that your thoughts aren't facts. And I was like, what is it? <laughs> Heidi, you are killing it. <laughs> if I could summarize what I've learned from so much like mystical study or whatever. It's actually a bumper sticker. It's don't believe everything you think. I'm just like, that is it. We yeah. we think we are our thoughts and our brains are so wrong. They're, they're not even rooted in reality. They're not even rooted in your well-being. No. Like worrying is a survival technique that used to maybe be a little bit more useful when we were roaming the plains and there might be a saber tooth tiger or whatever, it kept us alive. Yeah. Still have this malfunction. I know you know this, this malfunctioning lower brain that's still saying like, it's not safe to be calm. It's not safe to be calm. And I'm with you too. Speak a little bit more about that. I just thought it was normal to be anxious. Were you an anxious kid? Like what's an early anxious memory? An early anxious memory. Um, 
I was just always tense. Something bad's going to happen. And, and I think it, and I carry this to this day, but I think pleasure for me or or easing, relaxing into like a good thing, you know, my back's up against the wall and I'm like some, some, I mean, this is, this is what I thought was funny when I was a kid. Actually, it was, it was, um, mortifying when I was a kid, but, (laughs) but I'll, this is my thing. So, and this is how I've carried through life. So when I was younger, I had this really funny uncle, uncle Ed, just hilarious. The most fun whenever I visit him. Awesome. When he came to visit us, hilarious. But for some reason, my mom and uncle Ed would plan these things where they would show up to my school. I can't. (laughs) <laughs> I'm already out <laughs> in the out. middle of the day not to no. up, in the middle of the day I'd be like you know typing on the computer or something and I would just hear trumpet and my uncle Ed plays the trumpet and I was like uncle Ed's here and he's about to do a performance for the class and I mean I would just sink and like the class would love it they'd be like oh uncle Ed your uncle's here like and they'd be laughing at me, but loving him, but like laughing that this was happening to me. And like, and my mom, and they had elaborately planned this. And my, my uncle's laughing and my mom's laughing and we have to go to dinner later. And everyone's still like, remember how mortified you were? And like, I, and then I had to just like comedicize it. Oh (laughs) Um, my God. This is where, get your husband in the room. This, I always make this comparison. This is your radioactive spider bite. This is when you really started like honing the superpower of turning humiliation into a fuel to like, I'm as Mark Maron says, I'm going to control how you're laughing. I know you're laughing at me, but now I'm going to, what did you say? I'm going to comedicize it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so it, it it was a lot of that was just always, and, and honestly, that was, it was mortifying, but I think there was other chaos when I was growing up where it just always felt like my shoulders were up and just something was going to happen, you know? Well, something was going to happen, Heidi. (laughs) Uncle Ed, can we need a couple follow-up cues on that? (laughs) So this was, the teacher didn't know? You know what? I, I want to say that I feel like one time the teachers were in on it too. And I was like, what is going on? Why is this allowed? Why can we like, it wasn't a birthday. Like why, why is it allowed that we use up 15 minutes of the school day to mess with Heidi? Oh my God. And what was uncle Ed's story? He was, were they like groovy? Were they like nothing serious? Like you should just be playful all the time. Were they, pranking you like what was their attitude the best you can tell I mean my uncle is so playful and joyful and I think it was just like this is fun and funny and and yes all he thought it was loving he he was like I love Heidi I'm gonna make her day better yes yes and it was like and then and and I loved having him in town you know it was just it was this weird thing that would and he would come once a year so I I can't I can't. I mean, one time he, in after school care, I was in after school care. And um, so at least it was after school. But I was like, we had these um, after school teachers that were like, they were always like cool young dudes. I mean, granted, I was in second grade. I wasn't like looking for anything. But like, you knew when you were around like a cool 18 or 19 year old. And like, oh, sure. I was probably trying to bring up my game to like fourth grade just to interact with these guys. 
Of course. Um, so I'm like playing shoots and ladders with an after school teacher and trying to have a good conversation. And like, I would see out of the corner of my eye, like what I thought was a ninja. And I was like, no, like you're seeing things. And then, yeah, then there's this man in all black crawling around doing like ninja moves. And then I'm like, it's Uncle Ed. <laughs> I, I am dying. This is and like- then the after school teacher was like, wait what or who you know oh whoa, whoa who's this man like and then i'm like it's my uncle ed and then he's like is he allowed to pick you up like um wait he's crawling around like a ninja yes and, and then, then did that culminate in a show so what were you gonna say yeah and then you know the other kids in after school were like uncle ed's back you know i mean it just it became a lore at the school it was and it was a small school it's like I am dead. We could end the podcast now and everyone would be like, you know, I know there's like 400 episodes. You should start with the Heidi Gardner episode. It, just the <laughs> Uncle Ed stuff. <laughs> That's all we need. It's so informative of who you became, I think, too, because you, you were you did have to do sort of social gymnastics to make this very abnormal thing normal. Yeah, because I'm. It kind of goes back to the guy drinking the coffee on the plane. There is a Heidi. I think it would have been impossible to ask of a young Heidi. They could have just been like, "I know it's weird, but it's happening." Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I also love it. But like, barring that, we have to sort of develop senses of humor, or we feel that we have to develop a sense of humor. Yes. I wonder if then, if your origin in humor is similar to mine in that it was a loving, but still a defensive measure. It was something that I felt I had to develop to sort of, you know, I don't want to get too weepy here. I'm just saying to withstand anxiety, to withstand weird situations. Do you ever feel resentful that you, I watched an interview with you and they were asking you to maybe do your impression. And I could tell you just, you sort of ducked it very elegantly. And I was like, that's like me. Like, Sometimes I don't want to trot that out. Like, Uncle Ed isn't in the room, guys. Can't we just relax? Yeah. Do you feel that way? Yeah. I When I start to look back, I, I don't think there was a lot of relaxing. I think there was a lot of tap dancing. And, like, I was thinking back the other day for my – I think to calm the chaos, yes, I just learned that if I could suddenly do something funny or um, – <laughs> You know, I used to do uh, Robin Leach impressions for my parents. You know, it was like Perfect. they would be fighting and uh, and then suddenly I would go into that. And it was just like, what was, and I think I was like four and a half or five. I was like, what was I doing? Can I just, first of all, I would do Robin Leach as well because it was a great starter impression. Yes. You know, you just, it's sort of easy. Even if it's off, people still yeah. know what you're kind of doing. And, oh, God, what was I just thinking? I don't know. I'm so tired from the baby. Forgive me. She was up from three to five just kicking me. Basically just (laughs) kicking me. (laughs) When I see someone, tell me if you relate to this, that is the age that I was when I was doing my Robin Leach or you were doing your Robin Leach, so it's like four and a half. I almost can't even get in touch with how young I was, meaning 
I didn't feel that young. I felt like I feel sort of now. And then when I see a kid who was the age I was when my parents were fighting so much that I was like, oh, I'll sing the Mr. Belvedere theme song just to stop them from talking. Yes. Drake's on the China. <laughs> like I would do that. Yes. But then when I see a seven-year-old kid, I go, that's how little I was when I was doing the 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 checkbook balancing, the emotional checkbook balancing of how does dad feel? How does mom feel? How do I oh feel? God. What can I do? It is, I'm not trying to green light your, you know, your self-pity, but your self-love. It's like having that compassion for yourself and being like, holy shit, we were baby kids. That's insane. Like inheriting those, so many of the feelings that I felt were just not my own. You know, I could tell. Oh God, Heidi, (laughs) you just said it. Where where was the room, if I can put us in the same pod here, Mm -hmm. there was no room for our feelings. No. I just, yeah, the the seriousness of what you were feeling so little. And yes, yeah, I'm the same yeah. way. I, I see, um, I see kids. I was around uh, a child friend of mine uh, and he's like three years old. And I've always thought I was so good with kids, but over the last few years of learning a little bit more about like nurture and safety and what those things actually mean. Yeah. Um, I... I, he was like um, stepping up to brush his teeth and he was on, it was like the first couple times he was using just a step stool, two steps to get to the sink. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think before I just would have been like, yeah, those are baby steps. Like he's, he'll get up them and he'll get down them. But like just my awareness of how safe he needs to feel yeah. and that I'm going to be there to either hold his hand or if he wants to do it on his own, catch him, even though it's, you know, four inches. I was just like, oh, that, yes, he needs to feel so safe and protected right now. And I have never been in tune with that. Yeah. Yeah. This is the part of the podcast where I always say my parents did as best they could and I love them very deeply. And that is true. Yes. Now that we've gotten that out of the way. I mean, they really did do the best they could. And when I hear the stories of their parents, I'm like, they knocked it out of the park when they upgraded. But like by a modern standard, I'm just like, I can't, it just doesn't hold up. Like you, you watching, was it, I'm sorry, was it your nephew? No, just my friend Adam's son. Okay. Watching and having, learning what care is and and what, 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 I forget how you phrase it, but what caring is. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. I think I was just sort of, I don't want to say I was a pet or an accessory. There was definitely a lot of care, but I, I felt like another grown up, <laughs> like, like at the table. Like I was like, of course I would be privy to this very intense argument. <laughs> like why? <laughs> because they, again, not to excuse them, but my parents didn't really have that awareness or enough awareness of like, what is this doing to the kids? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's when Mr. Belvedere came out. And, <laughs> yeah. But like, I'm sorry to say it again, but like, I think it bears repeating. It's like, it's not really, I'm not going to say it's not fair, but it's not great that a kid had to do that complex 
emotional work. What is everyone feeling? Forget what am I feeling? Let me just like put a wedge in between a fight that I'm forecasting because it happens so often. Mm-hmm. That's like, shouldn't we, shouldn't we be uncle edding? Shouldn't we be playing the trumpet and dressing up as ninjas? But instead right. we're like, you're doing a Robin Leach impression <laughs> to stop a fight. I couldn't relate harder. I couldn't relate. The lasagna tonight is fantastic, mother. <laughs> I can't even do it, but who cares? Good. Say something. You say something to stop it. Yes. Yeah. I, I know. I just heard this quote that I'm going to botch the quote, but it was something just about, because I do think sometimes you'll, you'll get in these, you know, self pity feeling, but it's not self pity. You should feel your feelings. Um, that's but why I was looking for a better word too. It, yeah. it, it is loving. We don't want to be debilitated by them, but we want to honor them. Let's get Oprah super soul and just say, we want yeah. to honor our child selves and know that, that their healing continues. And the way that we treat our child selves feelings today either makes it worse or makes it better. So let's honor them. Yes. Honor them completely. And so when I have those moments occasionally, you know, I've also heard that's like, well, honor the bad. Like, you know, would you have been, you know, as motivated if you didn't, you know, grow up in some sort of chaos? Would you do, you know, and, but I just heard this quote recently that was like, I didn't really need survival. What I needed was safety. And it was just like, yeah, that's okay to say too. It's like, yes, it made you what you are today. And there are benefits, but it, but man, like, when you look back and you honor that child, you know, every time I honor her, it's like laying next to her and like telling her like, it's going to be okay. Or it's, it's it's always typically making her feel safe. And yeah. Yeah. That's a big question that I've been dealing with during the quarantine, which is better. Um, Literally having your dreams come true which is, which is happening for us in a, in a career way. There's certainly some elements of our personal lives as well, but I'm just saying specifically when people say your dreams are coming true, they don't really mean that you found a great husband and they don't really mean that I found a great partner. They usually mean like, wow, you became a comedian. Yeah. Okay. Is that better? We can't really know, but it's an interesting thought experiment. Is that better or is it better to just kind of have felt safe? <laughs> to have felt safe? And to be, I went to a Quaker school growing up and we always used to sing a song, It's a Gift to be Simple. To be like simple, I don't mean dim. I mean like not burdened by the Rubik's Cube that I'm sure you and I, even if the issues are different, the way that we deal with our anxieties and stresses for you, maybe it's tape night or uh, or pitching something or whatever, is informed by the way that we felt as children. So I guess it's like a good question for any performers, like, would we be happier uh, just being sort of not Spider-Man to go with the radioactive spider bite thing? Right. Because now that I've been forced to quit, uh, and so have you to a certain extent, yeah. I'm going like, oh, I said this to Val, I was like, oh my God, I'm the guy that got fired and then is like pushing his daughter in a tire swing going, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Like, we're, is that true? Is, is the real juice in loving relationships, in simple, in quiet, in... Uh, Zach Alphanakis said this to me. He was like, yeah, it's great to be in the hangover. I'm paraphrasing. 
But it's also great to sit in a hammock under an apple tree reading a book. And I was like, to have the inner state that allows you to relax, what is the value of that? Because our society only puts value in, and I'm not even saying this to you, but I'm sure a million people say this to you. Oh my God, you're on SNL. That's an institution. That's the Harvard of comedy. You've done it. No one can say you didn't do it. When I know that you probably feel like a fraud, that you're scared, that you're worried about being rehired, you're worried week after week about whether your sketch is going to, everything follows you everywhere. So I don't know. What, what do you think about that? What has quarantine taught you about what actually makes you happy while still honoring the fact that we do love our jobs and, and they are beautiful things? Yeah, well, I think the thing that I realized is I've, because I was at my core depleted of so much, I think I thought adding things, you know, would always, it's a thing that will give me the feeling of feeling whole. So for sure, when I got SNL, I thought... I would never have a bad day again. Ah! I didn't. Even, even if it was a bad day at work, it was still like, but I got the thing, you know, yeah, like I'll yeah. just always feel good. But I hadn't, um, I hadn't even gotten close to in touch with like myself and my core. Oh, um, what a beautiful, sorry to inter- just interject. I want you to keep yeah. going. But what a beautiful teaching. I, I don't mean to make it again. So super soul, but like, I've heard you mention that you love Jim Carrey Mm -hmm. and I love Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey said, I wish everybody could have their wildest dreams come true so they could see that it's not the answer. Mm -hmm. So you you keep going where you were. Yeah. I, and, and it's, it's just like a great metaphor across my whole life that I don't think at this point it's about adding more things. It's actually about taking them away so that I can really find who I am and the simple things that that do make me happy that recharge me that then allow me to go enjoy my job which is awesome and and at its core so much fun and what I want to do but if I if I don't have the innards to um to uh with um I can't think of the word withstand it like it's uh anything is really rough. So, so that's been, that's been really cool for me. And one of the things, whenever I like break it down to like simple things, well, when you're in those simple moments in childhood, which I know we didn't have much, but when I really thought of like, when I started going back to it, like, what are the things when I was a kid that I would just do on my own? What did I like to do? Like, what did I just decide on my own? And like, typically that stuff is the same stuff that makes me happy today. Like, and so those are the things that just feel so good. And the people who I'm either still friends with from childhood or the friends that like I've made that remind me of home. It's like Mm. the best. What are those things? And cats. (laughs) Um, one of those things is sports. Um, that was actually something while well, I played when I was a kid, I played basketball. And then that was a thing that, you know, my, my mom had this boyfriend who we would always go over to his house on Sundays, either to watch NASCAR or football. And 
it was just the biggest bummer. Like when we started going, his name was Neil. Um, when we started, Neil. Like, <laughs> Neil. And he had a roommate, Ed, another Ed in my life. Um, <laughs> and you know, as like a seven year old, it's like, I don't want to go spend all day on Sunday with my mom's boyfriend. <laughs> and sometimes my older brother would be with me. Sometimes he wouldn't. So it was just like, Oh, um, but even that, can I say, even that irregular, oh, sorry, irregularity is sort of less pleasant than if he was never there or if he was always there. Like, you have yeah. to be like, is he going to be there to help or not? I know that feeling. Yeah. So I, I had to, so that's where I learned how to love football. It's like we were watching games all day long and I was like, how do I make this fun? So once I learned how football was played, then I would start doing bet betting where I'd like get all the games of the day. I'd get $2 from, I'd have Neil pick who was going to win every game. I'd have his roommate Ed pick. I'd have my mom pick my brother. So like, and me, so the pot was like 12 bucks and you know, I had something to do at Neil's where I was just like, okay, this game, checking in on this game, they won, circling yeah. it. And at the end of the day, you know, someone got $12. And and I fell in love with sports that way and, you know, could deal with my mom's boyfriend. And so that just became then like getting into the NBA. And um, Heidi, that is beautiful. <laughs> Don't gloss over that. That is, that is again some alchemy, you know, it, it was, it wasn't just passing the time. It speaks to the improviser in you and the, and the collaborator, you know, and the great scene partner that you are, that you were finding a way to unify. What I don't like about sports. And I, I put this in my book was I thought it, it was going to be me and my dad hanging out at the ballpark. Like, and it sort of was, but like, you'd be facing the field. I thought we were going to turn towards each other. I always wanted to just, like, I, I liked my mom. I wanted to gossip. I wanted to like yeah. laugh and joke. But my dad wanted to watch the game. And I was like, so we're facing a field and not talking. Like, I, I, this is not what I expected. So you realizing that there was not a lot of connectivity there but finding the game. I mean, that's what good improv is. Find the game. Right. You literally were like, all right, in this scene, I am the unhappy uh, daughter of the guy, of the woman that this guy is dating. How awkward. And his roommate. Okay. I'm going to change it. I'm going to, I'm going to use my skill to have some agency. I mean, this is like the secret of one of the secrets, I think, to maintaining an anxious life is, 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 is realizing where and when you have agency, even as a child, but even in, in any situation, where can you sort of just gently impose yourself to, yeah. to see yourself? You were vanishing. Yeah. You were, you were vanishing. And, and wow. you were like, wait, they seem to like it when there's betting. <laughs> I, I just want, I'm just celebrating. I'm just saying like, I, it, it really captures something that I relate to so hard uh, about what it feels like to be a kid and a success as a kid. So that, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, the, it was kind of a, and you know, sometimes then you do have a little agency and power. Once my mom, once then I became the like big football fan, um, then my mom saw that in me. She would take me, if it was the chief's home game, she would take me to Houston's restaurant. You know what that is? I think I've, is it a chain? 
Yeah, it's a chain. Uh-huh. And, um, it was big in Kansas City. And after home games, Chiefs players would go there for drinks. And so she would take – We would, right when the Chiefs game would end, she would take me – drive me to Houston. <laughs> and um, I would – go into the bar as like a seven or eight year old with cocktail napkins and my mom's black pen and get Chiefs autographs and meet Oh Chiefs. my God. This is so it. Bad. See, everything at its best. I don't know why I'm, I think you're bringing it out in me. I think you have a lot of wisdom and a lot of open heartedness. And it's like things like sports. I don't like sports. I don't watch them, but like I totally understand anything can be used as a vehicle for connection. You know what I mean? That's why I don't laugh at people that go to Renaissance fairs or people that love uh, Comic-Con or obviously I'm those people. (laughs) I'm just saying whatever the activity is, even whatever you and I are talking about, it's just an excuse to connect. That's what everybody yeah. wants the same thing. We're walking around isolated, alone, in a, a, in a meat puppet that expires. And if you can find anything to bond over that makes it a little bit less awkward to just be hippies and be like, can we just gaze? Can we just gaze? Yeah. <laughs> and then you accept that about yourself. When you accept, like, yes, I enjoy the Ren Fair without shame. I enjoy Comic-Con. Yeah. It's also, it, and, and when, like, your tribe just accepts it, too, it's beautiful. I One of my good friends last week, um, some of my friends that are in Kansas City, we've all been, like, doing Zoom nights where we watch a movie, all the couples together. But the other night, but, you know, we need like to shake it up a new thing. And my friend Austin was like, Hey, does anyone want to do a treat draft? And we were like, what's a treat draft? And he was like, well, I, I just made it up, but it's like, we're going to do Austin. <laughs> a bracket style draft of like each couple is going to pick like what they think is like the top number one pick, like salty treat, a gummy treat a frozen treat, trash drink, chain restaurant. And, and I mean, immediately I was like, I'm down, I'm down, you know, and I was the first one of this chain of this text chain of like 10 of us who was like first responding, like, yes, let's do it. I'll, um, you know, Zeb will send the zoom link. We're going to do this. And then there, there was like the other part of my brain that was suddenly like, Oh, why are you so excited about this? Like you need to grow up. Like, you're trying to think of your gummy favorite gummy treat to put number one in the draft. And then I was like, no, this sounds fun. And I'm with people who I'm safe with and it sounds fun to them. And we spent a Sunday night just laughing and fighting, you know, over like Snickers is better than a full size Snickers. It was incredible. This is, this isn't silly. And how dare you judge yourself? This is this is life. This is sometimes when I, I I my competitive side can come out when I play like back in reality when we'd have like a board game night or something. Mm-hmm. I always surprise myself that I want people to like take the rules seriously. Like I didn't even know I had that part of me until we start playing. Um, I can't remember that we like playing a game called uh, Dixit. Is that possible? Dix, <laughs> Dixit. That's weird, but. Game night, uh, salty, sweet, gummy, chain restaurant, trash drink, draft is just an excuse to be together. But like if you can hold that, like chopping mushrooms is just an excuse 
to get in touch with the feeling of being alive. Game night and a treat draft is just an excuse to get in touch with the feeling of being together. And when you lose it and you get obsessed with the rules, that can be fun. I, I'm all for arguing and getting really worked up as long as there's a part of you behind that that goes, and this is just part of it too. And we can do that in life. I, yeah. I mean, that's, that's you and I trying to become the guy drinking the coffee on the turbulent plane. Yeah. If someone, you know, rejects one of our ideas and we get upset you can still be like, and this is me as a little piece of the universe feeling upset. Oh, look at me. I'm upset. But like <laughs> not losing touch with like, it's not really the point. That's all going to go away. It's all yeah. written on running water. What never goes away is, is being, is, is the dance and the play of reality that we get to be a part of. Wow, this is a real super soul Sunday and I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> You, you're bringing it out in me. I mean, like, I don't think I'm forcing it. You're saying these things. <laughs> and novelty, let's not, let's not be embarrassed. Like, mixing it up, doing something new. How great did Austin feel when you yes-anded that? You know what I mean? He was like, yeah. is this weird? Am I going to be made fun of for this? And now it's like an excuse for joy. That's the name of this podcast now. It's called An Excuse for Joy. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, that's a perfect way to put it. And and I do feel like it was, uh, I think Austin really wanted people to get in um, big fights. Yes. <laughs> Candy and treats. And uh, and it did. I mean, it felt like a debate. You know, my best friend, Jenny, you know, was so disgusted with our choice. She was ashamed to even be our friends at points. She was like, you guys didn't bring it. I thought you guys knew treats better than this. What and did she have a problem with? Oh, she thought like the the picks for gummies were just terrible. Um, I got it. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, picks were, and so each couple had a pick, um, sour patch kids, the winner, of course it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sour patch watermelon. Okay. I respect it. If you want that, like kind of like spit reservoir in the back of your mouth, which I want, yeah. um, Twizzlers. That's gummy. Wow. Oh, it was gummy fruity. Gummy fruity. Okay. And then Coca-Cola bottle gummies. Okay. Whoever put that in is the it clown. Uh, <laughs> Pennywise, I believe. So they're currently drinking one of those disgusting syrup wax with the taste of wax on your teeth where you bit it off. So no, kind no, of- not that. No, not those ones. Oh, the, I'm sorry. The cola. So they actually have like just a cola gummy. Forgive me, still bad. <laughs> still but the not, clown. But not as bad. I heard you say, I totally agree. I will eat those. <laughs> I heard you say you love gummies. Was yours Sour Patch Kids? Was that your nomination? It was, but so I had to, with your partner, you guys had to have one pick. So that was one of the ones that I let Zeb have. Because personally, I would have actually picked Sour Patch Watermelon or trolley sour crawlers sour crawlers see val and i were just talking about this everything you like even no matter how superficial it is informs a lot i feel like malcolm gladwell could write a really good book about like if you love those circle shaped one side is like a peach colored gummy and the other side is like a sour patch kid sparkly gummy 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. they sell them in those gold and clear bags at the checkout at CVS. Mm-hmm. That candy, if that's your favorite, tells me something else than the kid who, with his family, walked up the beach to the candy shop in New England. Yes. You know what I mean? I, I don't even know. If you love saltwater taffy, hand-pulled, yeah. like, I know more about you socioeconomically. I know more yeah. about your family. I know about, like, all, all where you vacation. There's a lot going on in these choices, which is why I think they're so personal to people. Mm-hmm. But again, even that just comes down to like a connection, like what juices you grew up with, like what drinks you grew up with. Um, yeah. So I, I can see why people might get heated on this. And we tried, Zeb and I thought that the way to go with the draft was to try to try to pull at people's nostalgia. So it would be our favorite thing, but we were also like really being like, oh, once they hear this and it yeah. sparks their nostalgia. And what we missed was it was our nostalgia and we had so much fun thinking of the things like when we did, um, frozen treat, um, I kept on like having this image of, I was like, Zeb, I was like, were Heath Klondike bars really good. And he was like, I think so. But, but I was like, to, to tell you the truth, I think I thought when I was little Klondike bars were like rich food or something. Like I they, know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, it's the silver package. It looks like you're unwrapping a bar of silver. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, why do I keep wanting to say that Heath Klondike bars are the best treat, frozen treat ever? And I was like, I probably had them once. And yeah. and then I was whittling it down. I was like, no. I was like, a ne- a frozen Nestle Crunch bar. That's what it is. And do you remember I that? knew that's what you meant, by the way. Yes. I knew that's what you meant because crunch fro- ice cream crunch bars are incredible. Incredible. And I haven't had one you know, in, or seen one in like over 20 years. Yeah. And I said that to Zeb and the second that he said it, he was like, Oh my God. And remember the last bit of chocolate on the, um, yes, Yes, you don't have to say popsicle stick. I know what you're talking about. Teething off. You teeth it off. And he and I were freaking out about it and we were like, yeah, we got it. Like everyone's going to vote on this one. Um, and when we like set our pick in the draft, it was kind of like, Oh, oh. <laughs> can I? I it was like the biggest, like sinking feeling where you were just like, "Do you not? Do you guys not get it?" But they, you know, someone else's was like a push-up pop, you know, like the Flintstone. And, and you know what? When you say push-up pop, I, I'm I'm transported to when I was a kid eating one from uh, the ice cream truck. So I yeah. have a stronger. Is it better than the Nestle Crunch Klondike or whatever it is? Absolutely not. But am I going to vote for it? Yeah, perhaps. To yeah. You know, what am I trying to do in that moment? I'm trying to say, I'm over here. Can you love me? That's all you're saying. Yes. You guys should have just taken a bunch of psychedelic mushrooms and just been like, I love you. And you could have skipped this whole thing. <laughs> what one? What one? Um, frozen treat. Frozen treat. Um, you know what one? Super controversial. A root beer float. <laughs> I want everyone's name because I'm going to send a bounty hunter after them because that's the worst. I hate that. Okay. This is going to be a repeat because Val and I said it on an episode that might come out before this, but I said to her, let me know if you relate. If you like fruity pebbles more than cocoa pebbles, you weren't hungry. You were thirsty. Yes. (laughs) And if you are voting for a root beer float, 
you were dehydrated. You were a thirsty kid. You're probably an active kid, which means you have no business in this treat draft whatsoever. Yeah. The sedentary, really savoring the flavor, depraved of nutrients kids voting. Not you, you fucking active shit. Slam dunking <laughs> basketballs in your nice privileged dad installed hoop get the fuck out of this competition root beer float i thought you were gonna say classic ice cream sandwich which would be boring but i at least i could understand it mm-hmm. yeah no even the the other option was so it was push-up pop um root beer float nestle crunch bar or dairy queen ice cream cake okay I, I'm friends with the Dairy Queen ice cream cake person. You had a strong reaction. I saw it. But these are the, <laughs> these are the uh, I'm just going to say it. These are the smarter players. You and your husband saying, let's go with the crunch, like, uh, like a higher end. Like it is Uncle Ed. He is having one of his adult treats, but he lets you have one. My dad used to get um, this, uh, like Cadbury had like a high end, like fruit and fruit and milk bar. Oh yeah, the fruit and nut bar. Fruit and nut. Yeah. And to this day, Heidi, mm-hmm. I still think when Lauren Michaels goes home, that's what he's taking out of the freezer. <laughs> like yes. that's like that's as high end as it gets. My you know? version yeah. of that is the symphony bar. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we're right in the same strictly for the name. It just and the commercial and hearing the symphonic. It was high class. What was the what was the chain? Was it chain restaurant? Yeah, so it was chain restaurant. Um, so the four picks, and the, and I'll tell you the four picks, and then knowing <laughs> me now for fifty minutes, will you guess what my picks? Yes, was? I think I can do it. Okay, so the four were chilies. <laughs> Um, Winstead's, which is like a Kansas City donut place, right? No, it's um, it's like shakes and malt and like thin patty burgers. Okay. And like mint and limeades, it's very cute. Chili's, Winstead's, Cheesecake Factory, old school Pizza Hut with the hut. Oh, with the hut, like on the building. Yeah, I love that distinction. <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> Because I'm immediately in my little league uniform after a game we lost, drowning our sorrows. And I didn't give a shit, but I was eating some pizza, so I, I was still a winner. Um, I'm going to say yours was Winstead's because it's it's nostalgia laden. It was old school Pizza Hut with the hut. Okay, that is the best answer. Yeah, I think Kansas City threw me off. I was like, that's a clue. You're from Kansas City. Yeah. I do want to have words with whoever the fuck nominated Cheesecake Factory. The same couple that nominated Root Beer Float and you, Twizzlers. And Twizzlers? Okay, so when you and your husband have a friend draft, these are the first cuts. These people have to go. This is an intervention. They can't be in your life. They're great. But, but they're the most, um, I would say... Not that as friends we go around, you know, saying who has the most shame, but they're the most like Ill, unfiltered, comfortable in their own skin. So it's like, of course, yeah. they'd be like, you know what, Twizzler, fuck it. You know what, root beer float. We don't <laughs> think. And then they win. And then root beer float wins. These happy go lucky. Yes. Oh, God, I can't. 
Cheesecake Factory is low end, high end. It's it's fake high end. Yeah, it's fake fine dining. <laughs> it did. It has what it was called trash restaurant. Chili's, Fridays, Applebee's. Uh, any of the other ones you said? P- certainly Pizza Hut. Certainly KFC is in there. That's a sit down yeah. family place. Cheesecake Factory, if I take my mom there, it's not a trash restaurant. If Irina Holmes will eat there, it can't be on that list. Well, you know what? The uh, rule should have been if there's a bread basket, it can't be on the list. And there's a bread basket. How about if there's gorgeous, immaculate, white, head-to-toe, white-dressed waiters that are like, who went through a rigorous training program to know a 3,000 page menu and will bring you an extra side of avocado cream sauce for your egg rolls. <laughs> that, get, the, get that out of here. I'm just glad it didn't win. Wait, what one? Pizza Hut. Pizza, yeah, thank you. We got it with that one. That is correct. I could do this forever, but I do want this to be, I feel like there aren't that many podcasts with you on it yet. No. So let's 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 talk a little bit more about Heidi, although I do think this is informative to who you are. <laughs> I, like you, am a, am a performer, but I, I heard you say in some of the interviews that I could find that you you're sort of an introvert. And in the same interview, you said that you're sort of an early bird. And so I'm like, oh, my God, you have cats. You're you're introvert leaning. I know everybody's complicated, but you have yeah. some leanings. And you're early bird leaning. I know everybody's complicated, but you're, yeah. you like the mornings. Um, just tell me about the lifestyle of SNL. Are you gelling with it? And is it difficult? I mean, it seems so social. It seems, I know Mike Che, it's like, it seems like he would love it. Like late nights, mm-hmm. shooting the shit, nowhere else to be in that good way, in that real comic way. Um, and then I'm like, what would I have been like there? I feel like I could have faked it. Do you feel like you've risen to faking it into the lifestyle? Yeah, well, I feel at first you being a people pleaser, of course, faking it as far as being like, you know, I knew the first the first ever writing night, you know, I was like, I have I have to stay up all night long. And, and I knew that. And so I was like, I'm going to do it. But like any time with that same group of friends that we've like had a movie night and tried to stay up all night long. Like as an adult, it's like you like Peter out at 3am you're done. So I was just going to say three, three. Yeah. That's it. I I remember being like, I have this, this job now and I'm going to Peter out at 3am. What am I going to do? You know, I made it all night and you know, I continued that my whole first season and I do pull a lot of super late early morning nights. But I made a boundary for myself that's like, okay, yes, like, I'm going to do this. And maybe the like crazier sketches get written at 3am. But like, hey, I'm a better writer at 2pm, period. Like, know that. So even if I know that like most people don't get in uh, to the offices till like 430, either I'm going to go in early or I'm just going to write at home. And um and and just and just know that about myself. This Not- is the best SNL answer. I've asked everyone <laughs> that's that's been on the show or is on the show this question. How do they vibe with it? Forgive me, listeners, that I always I'm always curious. It's like it doesn't seem conducive to me. You said 2 p.m. Boom, perfect. Or morning. Morning? 
before all your anxieties have shown up, before all your identity has shown up, before all the things you're supposed to do first crack, your, your dreams are still sort of bleeding into your consciousness and you write, give me that over 5 a.m. and I've been up all night and I'm like, I don't know, maybe a thing where a guy's dick is a typewriter. I, I don't need that. I, I'm so square, but I've never talked to somebody that on the show that was like, I'm just going to do it this way. That's my boundary. I really think that's great. Yeah, I, it, it's at least been been good for me to just know that yeah just to admit that about myself that maybe I'm not the best 4am writer and and that is okay (laughs) yeah I want Malcolm Gladwell speaking of old Malky Glads to do a chart of the best sketches I you you mentioned get off the shed the great Will Ferrell sketch Mm -hmm. which was in his audition yeah which means he probably came up with it at the Groundlings. Yeah. Which means he probably, I'm just going to uh, favor myself and be like, I must be right. Which means he probably didn't write it at four fucking a.m. Right. I want the data. I want a draft, a sketch draft data. Um, I, I know you love Kristen Wiig. Wait, the the flirting expert, I think, is one yeah. of my favorite of all time. And I'm like. I want wig. If I get Kristen on this podcast, I'll ask her what time was it. <laughs> yeah, I would like to know that too. I mean, that's that's the most fun thing about you know so many of my heroes having been on the show. It's like anytime they're on getting an interview, a, a podcast, like just having that. Even if you find out the answer, what time she wrote that, I need to know because that's right. It's, it's such good data, and it's so. It's so inspiring and informative to like, oh, they did it this way. That or you know, I heard um, Bill Hader on um, Armchair Expert, and he was just talking about like how much anxiety he had like before before the show, which yeah. you know you wouldn't necessarily think he's just so competent and so good, but like catastrophic thinking, anxiety, like, and just to hear. And that wasn't the only thing I related to. There was so much, but it was just like, oh, like two different experiences can be happening at the same time. <laughs> I think that's what our job is. Yeah. Did you read Jay Moore's book, um, <laughs> Gasping for Airtime? It's good. I enjoyed it. I, I like SNL lore, but he was struggling with anxiety the whole time, so much so that there's a sketch you can watch. It's a Matt Foley sketch. And you can see that Jay's hand is in his pocket. And the reason he has his hand in his pocket is because he's grasping a clonopin because he thinks he's going to have to take it during the sketch because he's having a panic attack, basically. Oh and he can't, I know, it's terrible. Yeah. But there's also, so is Bill Hader's catastrophic thinking. Yet, when I hear it, we can take the, the these negative experiences and see ourselves in them and know that we're not alone is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. So how how do you deal with that when you're correct me if I'm wrong, but SNL seems to be old school in the sense that it feels like our fathers became a TV show. And our fathers are like, we're just gonna throw you in the pool because that's when the best swimming happens. <laughs> and some of me and you 
I don't mean woman. I mean feminine energy. I just mean a little bit more grace and flow and emotion sometimes are just like, can't we write it too? And uh, aren't the digital shorts sort of the best thing on the show? Like, uh, like, can't we do more of those? Like (laughs) there's this other necessary counter energy that's like, no, I think I'll be cutting that and then bringing it back and then throwing it on its feet because it's like this classic show business, like show business is overcoming panic Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that brings us out. That's why Jordan was better when he was playing the rival team or he'd build those narratives that this guy thinks I'm not shit or whatever. But yeah. like, how how are you dealing with your own catastrophic thinking? How, how does that balance out? Well, I think that it's kind of nice to have, have grown up in like, kind of fight or flight survive. It wasn't nice, but like the having that survival where you're just like, okay, if, if I'm getting thrown in, then I'm going to fight as hard to like stay in this pool and like stay afloat and, um, and not even really question it. Just kind of, since you've been thrown in so many times, just be like, yeah, this is normal. This is normal. Um, but That's you know, what it is. It's not our fathers. It's our traumatic childhoods became, it's like our unresolved psychological issues Mm-hmm. the good side of them became an environment to grow really great comedy. Yeah. And people like Kristen and, and Will um, were those guys, were those people that I could be wrong, but it, I, I've heard stories about Will that just like weren't phased by it. Like even if something right. bombed, they'd just be like, well, that wasn't very good. Whereas I think you and I, if I'm getting a sense of you correctly, are like, wow, this this is more of a pressure cooker for me. Yes, like... I feel like I can, I can do both. I can survive. But that, that part that if they bomb and feels unlovable, everything kind of breaks down there for a minute. And like, that's where the thinking comes in. Like, Oh no, I just lost all the love. Like, um, it's never going to come back. It's, um, what, why, you know, that's where the like negative self-talk, um, I totally know. It, it, it sucks to remember how fragile we can be. Would you agree yeah. with that? Like yeah. Maya Angelou said to Dave Chappelle in this Iconoclast show that I, I love, and she says, you don't pick it up, don't lay it down, meaning you can't believe the praise, but you also that means you also don't believe the, the criticism or the hate. And I was like, that's, that's the guy drinking coffee on the airplane. Yeah. And there is something very enlightened about like, I'm glad you liked that sketch. I did it because I love it and I'm inviting you to love it. And isn't it great that you loved it? But like, I know who I am apart from whether or not it works. And isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't SNL the place for that? Because how many brilliant, unbelievable sketches bombed on that show with that pretty bad hot ticket from a stockbroker favor from the owner of the fucking chiefs got me ticket and you're not comedy fans you just wanted to say you went audience i'm thinking about so many of my favorites and i'm just like where are they you know i'm not saying that to scare you i'm saying obviously that wouldn't scare you i'm saying like it's a great place to practice like i know that was great and time will tell and, and people will find it. 
Yes. And I, I think even like you can get so down on yourself. Um, yeah. My husband even said this the other night, I was telling him uh, a sketch that I had gotten cut last year after dress rehearsal. That was like the stingiest one of the year. It was just the one that like, I felt like I let everyone down. Cause I was like, everybody at work really liked it. And then, and they must've been like, ah, oh, but she didn't, she didn't pull it off or so, you know, I had mm. all these. And, um, and my husband was just like, Hey, also like just getting a sketch to the dress rehearsal. I think you forget what a big deal that is. And I was like, no, I know. You know, I was, I was just trying to be like, yeah, no, you're right. That like when someone's like, yeah, but you're on SNL and you're like, no, yeah, I, I know. I know. It's, but, um, Hmm. he was saying that and then he was like they believed in it so much they put in thousands of dollars to build the set for it and i was like oh yeah like i i i do need to to shift my thinking a little bit that um that that throughout the whole process there was it's a machine and it has to happen in a week but like there was a sense of love about it they did love it they put it in they built it Of course. And I am obsessed with this uh, spiritual teacher named Byron Katie. And I'm going to keep this brief because I've been talking about her a lot on this show. But she's all about just investigating your your thoughts, right? So you had the thought, they cut the sketch because I didn't pull it off, right? Mm -hmm. And you were sort of doing it naturally, but she just wants to slow that process down. You just go, is that true? But even just that pause and saying, is that true, is so much of, from what I can tell, that is what being a conscious person is. That's what being a mindful person is. You had a thought, and I have them all the time. Please don't think I'm explaining this to you. I'm telling you something that I'm trying to embody currently, Heidi. It's like, they um, Netflix doesn't want my special because it's not good. <laughs> or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't even, because of COVID, that hasn't even happened yet, but I'm, I'm already worried about it. Um, is that true? Can I even imagine a reality? And of course you can, you're a creative person, where they cut it for time, where they cut it because it was a cooking sketch and we already had a cooking sketch. There's a billion, there's a billion reasons. And yet our brains, our fucked up brains that don't know any better, We'll lean into the one that has a reaction. And then that's the second question is, how do you feel when you believe it? They cut the sketch because I didn't pull it off. I feel bad. I feel tense. How do you act when you believe it? I, I'm less confident. I'm, I'm scared. Then the, the, the last one is, how do you feel without it? How would you feel if you didn't have that thought? And you just pretend and, and you just, you feel it like your, your pores cl- uh, or your sinuses clearing. It's like fresh air just washes into you, but you literally close your eyes and go, what if that's not true? What if I dropped that thought? And you just, oh, it's, it's Val and I call it like an M&M of enlightenment. It's not the full thing, but you just eat this little M&M. And I've been doing that I, I because you have anxiety. Sorry to get on a tear. I was thinking about a podcast I recorded and you might have that after this one. I don't know, but you get like a vulnerability hangover. Oh, I sure did talk about uncle Ed a lot or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you're in bed and you're like, it's 4am, your baby's kicking you. This is me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how's the podcast going to go? And you try and get to the thought that's really causing you the problem. Cause the podcast isn't causing the problem. It's Mm -hmm. my thought about it. And my thought was, 
if I can't be happy unless I know how the future will be. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you sort of laugh. You go like, is that true? Yeah. Not only is it not true, the opposite is true. I don't want to know how the future is going to be. I don't even want to know how people are going to receive this podcast. I want to live in uncertainty and aliveness. I want to be surprised when root beer float wins the draft. That's what we call life. That was you with your sheet, getting people to bet on the teams. We like uncertainty, but I was holding on to a thought that I need to control the universe. Another thought is I know what's best for the world. Like I know how reality should be. Is that even true? I have already talked about like, the pain that we've experienced led to this growth, led to this wisdom, led to this talent. We don't even know. But like stopping and pausing and investigating the thought. If any of that sounds cool to you, you should check it out. It's called Loving yes. What Is. Loving What Is. It sounds yes. so up my alley. Um, because we're getting along so well, I'm like, I think you might be like me. I think you might love it. Forgive me for going on a, on a little tangent there. No, I love that. I, you know, I, I was... Um, 30 minutes before doing this podcast, I was just trying to eat lunch, which was the good, which was the good thing to do that the present thing I was like, yeah, nourish yourself before um, you're going to do this. And during it though, and I wasn't looking at my phone because I didn't want to be distracted, but then I was um, in my head almost auditioning for being on this. I mean, I was going through like how our conversation was going to go, how, and yeah. I just like said to myself, and you know, I was thinking like, what if he asked this or this? And, this? and none of the questions that I made up in my mind have happened, by the way, but I just suddenly said to myself, or what if you just talk to a person you've never met before? That's right. What happens? Um, you are primed for this because one, the, the last thing you do after the questions is called a turnaround. So you say, Pete is going to embarrass me and humiliate me, right? And one of the ways you can do the turnaround is you substitute the thing with my thoughts. So you get, my thoughts are embarrassing and humiliating me because that's what was happening. Right. You yeah. were doing it to yourself. Oh. If I do it, it's just happening. And, you know, what's the worst that could happen? You You were already there. But your brain like a drunken monkey, will do it the entire meal. He's going to say, how did you get on SNL? I don't, you know, whatever it might have been. And what, but our nervous systems and our brains are so powerful that we don't even really know the difference. It basically did happen and you were doing it. But here's the, the good news, bringing that awareness that you're doing it, in my experience, stops it. I was able to fall asleep when I went. So I can't relax until I know how the future is going to be. And you sort of laugh. Mm -hmm. And then it goes, you don't drop, she says, you don't drop the thoughts. The thoughts once exposed, they drop you. And I was like, this woman, she's incredible. You're the third person who recently has said to me um, that, yeah, once you, I, they're, they're just keep on saying, once you're aware of it, once you like just honor that it's there, like that is the first step of it, you know, getting better, not, and, and it's funny because yeah, every time one person was my therapist, one person was uh, my husband and one person was my best friend or one of my best friends. Um, and now you're saying it to me and I'm like, okay, these are all <laughs> smart people. Um, right, 
Right. I think I can believe them. And I'm just, and I'm starting to just quantify. That's the fourth person. Like, yeah. maybe, maybe they're, maybe that things could look a little different in my head. Like maybe they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a serendipity. It's fun when those, that bell just keeps ringing and that's yeah. how we look for patterns and, and we, and we vet things. I, I don't want to trust someone, the first person that tells me. It's one of the reasons I like to bring it up so many times on the podcast, something that I really matters to me, hear what other people think about it, hear how they respond. But um, that, that's that lesson of don't, don't judge yourself for having unconscious beliefs and stories. Mm-hmm. Just become aware of them. Yeah. Become aware. And this is so a- applicable for us. One of the things that I've done is like, I need other people's love. Or if they don't laugh at my sketch or my bit or whatever, they don't love me. They've taken it away. So the, the thought underneath all of those is, my love is something people can take away or give to me. And Mm -hmm. then you do it on that. Is that true? Or are are you made of love? Like, are you made of love? Is it abundant? It's, it's really fun. And it's almost like that love. It, it, well, how you're describing it is so conditional, conditional transaction with people, but then you just start realizing it's like, no, I have those conditions with myself. That's it. I won't love myself if the sketch doesn't work. I think it's the audience, but it's me. I'm the one I'm with. Do I take the audience home with me? It's fucking you. So deal with you. That's the breakthrough. It's like, she says, it's a great line. She goes, if you think someone else is the source of your pain, you're insane. It's you in the elevator in your building going, wow, I really lost them on that line. Who else could it be? So right. if you if you deal with yourself, you're dealing with that. And then we can be those spacious people that are doing a sketch or doing a character or doing stand-up or whatever it is we're doing as a gift, as an invitation, as something open and free, instead of a manipulation to make them give us what we can't give ourselves. Yeah. Just give yourself the good shit. You have it. Just give it. Just give it. Yeah, I just, um, the... My office mate at work, Sam J. She's a stand-up comedian. I know Sam, yeah. yeah. And um, she's amazing. And I was just reading, she just did, well, her special just came out on Netflix, which is amazing. But I had read, before I watched it that day, um, like the Times did an article about her and Nylon did an article about her. And one of the things when she was talking about her stand-up was she said, as she got more confident in it, she was like, I, uh, I trust myself. And so you can trust me too, like to the audience. And, and so then, and I, I was just like, and also just knowing her that just hit me so hard. And I was like, yeah, man. And then I watched her special and there were so many moments where she was just so comfortable, like comfortable in a silence, not that just like, I, I was, it just was not adrenaline at all. Yeah, it was that's right. Like, you can trust me. I am comfortable up here. I am. That's right. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think being like you, when I watched Sam J, I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm like to use your word, I'm adrenalizing my way into a state of performance. And I'm like, this person, it just is, it's just, it's just happening. Mm -hmm. Comedy is just happening because she's, 
sorry to over spiritualize this, but Ramdas, I don't know if you know who that is. He, yeah. he, said, he said, don't do comedy, be comedy. And I was like, oh, it's, 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 it's very the Tao. It's like doing non-doing. It's like nobody likes doing. And Sam Jay, whether she knows it or not, I, I, I happen to think she's very, very smart. So she knows that this is coming across. It's like nothing's worse than like sweaty, effortful, do you like me comedy? Mm-hmm. But the feeling of like, sometimes when I'm on stage, I say, it's okay, Dad, daddy's driving. I know that's sort of an absurd thing to say, but I mean it in a playful way. Yeah. Like, I'm driving the car. We're going to get to... You know when I say it? It's been so long. I say it if there's a, 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 a disruption, if there's a heckle or okay. something weird happens. I'll engage with them and I'll just talk to them in a friendly way. And it, it'll get very not funny for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I say to the audience, I go, don't worry, daddy's driving. I'm taking the car to Disneyland. You can nap in the back seat. It's okay. Uh, like, this is happening. And yeah. in a minute, we'll be laughing again. It's all right. Right. And, um, you know. Yeah, just the putting the audience at, com- or at ease. You know, you describing that and just that you had a heckler. And then I can just see myself in that audience being like, okay, I mean, is that is the heckler going to get worse? Or is Pete going to, like, freak out? Is either way are going to be horrible for me to watch? That's right. This is going to be, I'll never forget this. Oh, so just you addressing it and being like, I've got it handled. I'm not, this is not ending my world right now, which you do. You just, having never done stand-up, I think for me, I'm like, now he's in his head and his feelings are hurt. That's right. <laughs> right now. But that's that's the voice we can use with ourselves. We're back to the turbulent plane in the coffee. Something's going wrong. We can say to ourselves, "What's going to happen?" You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was. It's silly to say, but I was picking up some takeout and it was taking a while. And then you just go like, "Wait, what's the problem?" But that step of being conscious, instead of just letting your nervous system say, "This food is taking too long." Therefore, I'm going to release a cocktail of chemicals, usually reserved for a rabid baboon chasing you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to release that. But if you just say like, wait, reality is a dream. I'm a guy waiting for food. This is Eckhart Tolle. How you feel in the moment is how you feel about your life. We think it's like an average, like... I was mostly happy today. Fuck that shit. How you, Heidi, how I, Pete, feel right now, which I'm happy to say is in a flow. I feel connected with you. I feel happy that people are going to get to hear this and enjoy it. I'm feeling good. That's how I feel about my life. It's not an end of the day or an end of the life average where we're going to be old going like, I was mostly peaceful. Like, fuck that shit. How you feel in the nursing home at that moment. That's your life. That's the only life you've ever had. Yes, that Uber Eats analogy, waiting for your food is is so wonderful because uh, Zeb and I had an experience recently where we ordered some dumplings and, you know, we wanted them so bad. <laughs> and, you know, it's like 30 minutes. And then it, that thing happens where it's like they're close to you, but they're just not moving, you know? Stop. I can't. <laughs> And then they turn around or it yeah. says they're finishing a delivery nearby. Like, I, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was part of a parade you were doing. <laughs> like, yeah. And they're not answering and we're getting like more worked up. And then it seems like they've gone back to the restaurant. Maybe that we're, we're, 
all we're doing at that point, Deb and I are just like watching uh, that little dot and we're going crazy about our dumplings and we're already being gross and being like, oh, well, I guess we're going to have to order from another place. Like, we're just going to go through this again. Because <laughs> um, we are just being like monkey brain. And and then, you know, it's way longer than it says. The dumplings finally come, you know, it's like uh, an hour and a half later. And like the kid, the young kid in the car has like this girl in the car too. And both of them are like on the verge of laughing and are like, sorry the dumplings took so long or something and like kind of (laughs) like throw the bag and like speed away laughing and in my head I'm like what movie do you want to watch me and Zeb being freaks over dumplings or like basically Ferris Taylor's Beatles Day Off with dumplings like those two went on an adventure with our dumplings and, (laughs) and and who knows what That's they got it. up to? They got up to something. They were laughing with our food. They might That's, have eaten it. They were high, ate it, went back and bought it themselves and got it. I don't know. That's it. You're doing it. You're doing yeah. it. I mean, yeah. obviously, when I'm explaining these things, I, I like to extrapolate for the listeners, for myself. It's fun to talk, all that stuff. But I, I see you already doing this. Having What you did is you went from a dot to a person. And that always happens. I'm watching the car and it's turning around or I I always want to like take a screen grab and Instagram it. It's like, here's my house. Here's the restaurant. And they're over here for some reason. They're like, what looks like a a hobbit's journey away. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then they get there and it's a man or it's a woman with glasses and a hat and a, a baggy shirt and I see how they're walking. And I, re- I remember that's, it's one of us. It's, it's, it's yeah, us. It's the, me. It's me. Yeah. Someone that, in the rain, someone come shows up drenched and with your food. And that's it's like, right. you, if you had the audacity to be mad at them. They're <laughs> literally feeding you. Yes. They're your mother. They're your mother's breast, <laughs> like in that moment. And it is holy work and it is service work and everything is holy work and everything can be service work. I'm just, I'm so with you. Dots dots to people is or cars to people or apps to people. Yeah. I mean, Instagram, Facebook, I think welcomes a climate of judgment and vitriol and binary thinking. And I know it's not an original thought, but like anybody that, that tweets something, I don't, I don't look at that anymore. At least I try very hard not to. Someone tweets, you look like the bloated corpse of, of whoever. And then I'm mad or hurt. And then I'm like, I know if we went on a road trip, we would fucking love each other. Like we would love each other by the end. I don't care. You could be so far right, or you could be so anti everything that I'm about. And I guarantee if we spent a summer together painting a house, there's no way we wouldn't find sports betting or all the things that I've seen you doing. There's a way to connect. And this is, this is spiritual stuff. This is yoga. It's like, who are you without the things you identify as? Woman, comedian, on SNL. Okay, all that's gone basically in a quarantine. We're getting like a little forced spiritual retreat. Who are you now? Who are you now? That's the real you. I don't really care 
about your politics if we're just painting a house? Can we just can we just fucking drop the needle here? Because how we feel right now painting this house, this is our life. I know you want to tell me about that formative experience you had that made you very conservative fiscally. Fuck all that shit. It's a memory. It's a phantom. It's you worrying about this podcast. It's you projecting yourself into the past where you formulated a belief, which is really just a thought that you remember to think four or five times a day. That's you? That ghost is you? I think there's something else painting the house right now. <laughs> yeah. My coffee just kicked in. I'm really, <laughs> no, really no. vibing it. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine lost... Um, her dog recently and she said to me when he was they were in the room um when he was euthanized and she said and then we were just looking at uh her body and it it just made her remember like we are just souls like even though she was looking at her dog she was like they're not there anymore like that's right you could see it and their eyes were still open it was just like we're powerful were souls in the moment souls, you know, that. Yes. Wrapped in stardust. That's it. And seeing your dog and going, this is not my dog. And and the trick, and let's get into the spiritual stuff. I know you went to Catholic school. The trick, as so many have taught, is to sort of die before you die. To realize that this isn't you while you're still here is sort of what what, what waking up is, you know, Mm -hmm. is going... You could look at me, my corpse, and go, that's not Pete. Um, Everything I know is Pete. That's Pete's packaging. But if Pete, still in his packaging, Pete in quotes, can realize that that's not who he is, that's 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 sort of the game, isn't it? Yeah. Is that... Tell me everything. I've been talking so much, Heidi. I really just think you brought it out in me this morning. It's what I needed, and I really appreciate it. But I'm going to try to be a little bit more quiet now and um, no. ask you about your spiritual beliefs, your your upbringing, and also what it is now, what, what you're feeling today, this morning. Yeah, you know, I didn't grow up religious. I was baptized Lutheran, um, I think just for show. I don't know if that's what you did. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we didn't go to church or anything, but my mom, it was always really important to her that we go to good schools and in my area, um, or outside my area, there were some good private schools. So she, she tried really hard to get me into a private middle school, or Catholic um, private middle school and high school. And when I first started in middle school, and so many of the kids there were actually Catholic, and they went to church every Sunday and they seem to be okay with death and, or, you know, like they just had this understanding of things and this community that I never had that, you know, I remember the first few months, my mom, I think being scared, like I actually wanted to convert. She was like, I just want you to get a good uh, education. I don't, I don't want a religious daughter. You know, she would say, God damn it in the car. And I was like, God's last name is it. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that one. That's my world. And I've never even heard that one. That's great. Um, but so I did, I was, I was, I was curious just more in a social way at first. Um, of course, of course. And, but, but yeah, I, even going to a Catholic high school, never, uh, never ended up uh, becoming Catholic. <laughs> and, and yeah, through my adulthood, 
have only really, um, I, you know, I, I think I always, I always maybe felt spiritual because my, or intuitive. I, but, but now I'm learning. <laughs> I think I, I was like, Oh, I'm emotionally smart or something and intuitive. Like I can tell when a couple just had a fight when like they come to dinner or something like that. But I'm like, Oh no, that's like, I think I'm learning now. That's just more of an empath. And that's not always <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just from childhood could take on people's emotions really, really easily. Yeah. And so, Maybe I was associating some of that, like, uh, with my spirituality. It was all just really mixed up. And so now, um, yeah, now my, my spiritual side is just kind of, um, is more about curiosity, curiosity about into who I am, trying to understand my family better, my friends better, what everyone, the more I get in touch with my needs, and want, I can see so much more clearly and be able to give people what I think they need and want. And it feels mm. so much better because I'm like, oh yeah, like you, you told me, <laughs> you know, you like to uh, FaceTime instead of text. I'm going to do that. Like, and I, and I understand why you would want that. Even if you're different than me, like I'm going to make you feel good in that way. And just the way that you right. picked up on what I want and so I don't know. That's kind of where my, the weird answer, but my spirituality just lands in. Oh, I love that answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. The more work I do, I, I sort of come full circle. I used to pretend to be nice and give people what they wanted or what I thought they wanted out of fear and manipulation. Yeah. And the more inner work I do, I've sort of come full circle to behaving very similar to how I used to behave, say with my parents. I've had some breakthroughs with my parents lately in large part to that loving what is book. And now I give them what they want. Like a FaceTime call instead of a text is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they always just want connection. And I, I would just do that. I would be like, Oh, my parents are trying to, they're bleeding into my life. They're, they're boundaryless. Um, they're trying to control me. And then I was just like, is, is that true? Or right. are they your parents? And they just want to talk to you. And, and then when I would be like, my parents shouldn't anything, anything. My dad shouldn't, I don't know, explain the craft of directing to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's happening though. That's what he's doing. That's, that's what he does. Yeah. And, and, and my favorite is my parents should respect my boundaries. And I'm like, really? They should? I don't, that doesn't sound like any parents I know. So yeah. like arguing with reality has led me to what you were saying, which is like not giving people what they want because I think I need to, or I should, but because you actually want to, you get yeah. to a space of quiet where you're like, wait a minute, I have an opportunity to forgive, to heal, to love, to share all the things that sound like the rolling end credits of reading rainbow, but I can do that. I'm going to do it. Yeah. That, that, so I love that answer. Yeah. And with parents, especially it's like, Oh, parents need love too. Right. Sounds obvious, but, and also attention. It's, you know, it's just made me and, and to want to be known, you know, they're just right. to, 
yeah, stop seeing them as parents and human beings and being like, of course you want to tell me how to direct because, because you think you know how to direct and you right. want to just be a person and talk. That's right. And you want me to hear what you said. And, yeah. and, and you know what? When I try, I can find a place where what he's saying is genuinely good and interesting and like, thank you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's, that's great. And, and not so meaning it's not phony, which is what I used to be. I'd just mm-hmm. be like, I just lie. I, I, so often I feel like maybe you can relate. I would actually say the opposite of what I was feeling. If something felt like an imposition or stressed me out, I'd still be like, thanks so much for thinking of me. This is great. Like, yeah, literally the inversion of what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. But when I see them from a dot to a person, when I remember that just like me, they want to be seen, they want to be heard, they're probably afraid sometimes, they're probably alone, they're in their 70s, their son lives 3,000 miles away, there's a global epidemic, they're in the troubling age, um, they probably just want to be told, like every fucking buddy, you're okay, I love you. And you. And from my experience, even with weirdo parents, and they are weirdos, you can sometimes just say exactly what you're thinking. You can be like, you, you guys, you know, I really appreciated when you would take us to Cape Cod in the summer. That really meant a lot to me. Those are some of my best memories. We don't have to wait for the deathbed. You can just call them and say that. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I know I know we're supposed to be talking about God, but that, that's what's been going on with me. So I guess that just came out. Well, I think that is is really wonderful. And, and you saying that, um, and it, actually it's funny because, you know, thinking about your parents, like in their seventies alone, like actually they do have boundaries. I mean, most people alone in their seventies, you would think would be like, Pete, come here, come with me, with me, be with me, be with me. I need you. like, that's right. You know? So they're, they're not yeah. asking for much, but I'm telling our brains you. Yes. are making it so big that everything's a plea and a beg and yeah. You're, you are already a pro at this. You're going to, you're going to love that book because that is it. It's like, it sounds like if anyone's having a hard time, it's the boundary is me and a boundary in my brain. Like my brain is bothering me constantly with parents cast as them from the eighties. So it's not mm. even them. Saying and doing things that they're not actually doing. And I know we're talking about God, but this is God. Your inner reality is your reality. And reality is God. Like, is is one way of looking at that very troublesome word. Do you have an image of of God or any any afterlife thoughts? Have you ever seen a ghost or an alien? Have you ever almost died? (laughs) Well, okay, so... I've, I've been having a lot of thoughts about ghosts and aliens because you know, <laughs> I'm starting to hear all this Pentagon stuff that they might have an actual UFO and I do want it to be true. But again, and I just watched an unsolved mysteries where it just really made it seem like UFOs are real. But my um, argument against ghosts have always been like, okay, why do ghosts only ever come like at the creepiest moment, like why, why haven't, has no one ever been like, there was a ghost at that basketball game. Did you see him on the tape? There was a ghost at McDonald's during the day, you know, like. Right. It's a great, that's a good stand-up bet. It's like, <laughs> so you just saw a ghost at the bus stop. Yeah. So that's always been my ghost argument. 
But then I just had to question myself recently because I'm so all in now on aliens. And then I'm like, fuck though, my own argument is, is, is ruining that. Because again, why do people only see aliens at night in creepy times and big fields? So now I don't even know if I can believe that, but. I wonder if there's a level of attention you're playing when you're scared. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just thinking this through. I've quoted it many times. It's a favorite poem of mine. It's a Mary Oliver poem where she talks about seeing bear tracks in the woods. And then when you think you're in danger, everything snaps into this very vivid detail. So like maybe the fear, this is a stretch though, makes Mm -hmm. you pay attention and your senses become heightened. And in that, like, meaning there's a lot of like martial arts that take advantage of the fact of how people build reality when they're kind of half paying, they're half conscious. So the martial artists to manipulate the fact that people aren't really looking. So like when we're really looking, that is to say like, what are we missing just in our half baked forgetting to say, I am chopping the mushrooms sort of base consciousness that is heightened by fear and then helps us see things like UFOs in the sky. Because you have to be paying close attention to see that stuff. Yeah, because even watching the Unsolved Mysteries with um, the UFOs, it's the most scared I've been in a long time. And we were watching it at night in bed at midnight. It was a small New York apartment. So the bathroom is four paces away from the bedroom. I'm typically never scared at night. Um, I was, I was in this new place. I was, well, I was back to like being the kid watching Unsolved Mysteries for sure. It had the same effect. But after watching that, I made my husband walk me to the bathroom. So, I mean, it proved that I was just paying so much more attention, you know, like, so I do think when we're freaked out, something wants to get freaked out more. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. No. And with ghosts, I sort of feel like we are ghosts. And with aliens, I would say we are aliens. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's sort of like that's the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like ghosts are just us, but disembodied. Okay. That, That doesn't really solve the fundamental mystery of what is us. We're like, what if there was an us, but it was translucent? I'm still like, okay, but what is being? What is consciousness? What is us? Like the phenomenon isn't that I have an opaque arm (laughs) or that I'm not a Puritan with no head. Like the phenomenon is that anything is. And aliens, and when people go like, well, the the universe is infinite. So of course there's aliens. Of course there's potential. It's just like, we're just talking about the same mystery, which is the mystery of anything being. So we're like, if this is being, where else is there being? And and it makes it a little bit like sexier, a little bit more um, dangerous or scary. But we're still just talking about like, what are we doing here? The Pentagon found a UFO potentially. I think our time to believe it is probably now because I'm with you. Because I feel like it's always like we're coming so close to some weather balloon cover up. Did I cut out? Yeah. I cut out during my taking down the Pentagon and how they always say it's so weather balloon. So let's just enjoy the the not knowing space that we're in now where we think that maybe they do have a UFO. But come on, don't you know intuitively deep in your heart, of course they do. <laughs> They've got to. And you know what? I'll, and whoever, 
whoever knows, I mean, that's cool information. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's Bob Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R. He had a great doc. It, was, it's, it wasn't my favorite documentary, but it was interesting. He was a guy who had access to the Pentagon and was like, I worked on all those things. And he's been pretty vocal about it for a really long time. Okay. Yeah. I want to be clear, though. This is my Cheesecake Factory, uh, meaning it's not a great movie. No disrespect to the people that made it. I hope this gets you some downloads because it's worth watching. Uh, I just want you to know when you watch it that that's not like my idea it's not capturing the freedmen's you know what I mean it's not like a perfect documentary it's like it's like uh you know u f o fair you'll like okay. it. <laughs> uh, i know i I think I know what type of documentary yeah it it just like it's definitely the narrator is trying to be Mickey Rourke. <laughs> no, kind of, what if UFOs came and it's like, what if they already did? And like, it's <laughs> the desert. And I'm like, just get to the good part. Um, I feel like we're in a great place. Uh, let's do a speed round and, okay. then, and then we'll get out of here. Let's we'll try um, it. The, the answers can be as long as you want. It's not one of those, like I'll hold you to okay. it. What's a great lesson you've learned about improv? If you can remember something great someone told you. Oh, that I'm um, not to say sorry. And that because when you apologize, not only because when you apologize, like imagine also what you're making the other person feel like, like they had a reaction that you had to go, I'm sorry. And then they feel oh. horrible too. So that's interesting. It's sort of like Sam J. It's like have some trust in yourself. Yeah. Um, th- this is vague, but I want to see how you answer it. What's the greatest lesson you've learned about SNL? The greatest lesson I've learned about SNL. Oh my gosh. Keep a clonopin in your pocket. <laughs> um wow. You know what? That it that it it should be impossible to get done what gets done every week. And <laughs> that it's kind of a miracle that it does. But then also, well, it's easy to say that it's a miracle, but it's not a miracle because there's so many people working so hard. And uh, that, I think, I think you're always just like, oh my God, it's live. But there's so many people that make it live. Right. Yeah. The miracle isn't just the liveness, it's the whole week. Yeah. And it, and it's and it's some person sewing you like a, a, a lobster costume with working claws that then gets rewritten to a crab costume that they mend and make into a crab on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> exactly. You couldn't have said it. That's exactly. <laughs> well, I was on the show. People don't know this, but I am Will Forte. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You're great work done. Thank you. <laughs> no MacGruber questions. Um, what's a great lesson you've learned about acting? You've done uh, some wonderful acting as well. Thank you. Um, oh, wow. I guess uh, just like life, just be present. I mean, every time you try to plan something, it's going to be different when you do it anyway. So just know your lines and then just be present. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Know them well enough that you can be present. Yes. I like that a lot. It, isn't it funny? It's, it's like 
even though I'm with you, that is an answer I'm sure someone's given before, but it is the answer. And so many people are bad actors, meaning we forget that. I've been a bad actor, certainly. It's because I forgot that. So even though we know it, it bears repeating. I'm just sort of defending our right to bring it up again. Um, last one, uh, it, writing. What about writing for people that are trying to write? Oh, wow. Um, well, I've been writing a lot this summer and I, I feel like I've had so many thoughts recently about writing. Um, number one, you can do it. <laughs> it's oh, so like hard. That. It's so hard to sit down and do it. Um, So if you can take care of yourself impeccably in whatever way possible so that it's not painful to sit down and do it. Um, So if you know you're going to write that day and you, and for instance, I'm writing, I'm writing something and I, I listen to the music that I want to be in this thing that I'm writing right before I do it to like hype me up, to make me feel good anything you can do for yourself to go into that process because writing is really hard. Sitting down to do it is really hard. Your, your critique is really hard. Do you need little rewards? And just to, just to know that it, it's so hard and, and good for you for doing it. Completely agree. I think so much of show business is validating and green lighting how difficult something that seems like it should be so easy. You have no right to complain about it. Like you were saying that about your, your sketch being cut so much of our work, not just in show business, but everybody listening is owning that your feelings are real and they're valid and they're yours. And you can, you can hear your super ego or your father's voice or your mother's voice or Wilford Brimley like being like, <laughs> There's people digging ditches like, all right, but I'm doing this and this hurts. Like, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, If you want to blend in with society, you just sort of keep it to yourself. But like, at least in your own heart, you can validate your your feelings. What about hairstyling? You were a hairstylist. What's a great tip you got from that? I'm not even kidding. No, that's great. Uh, What's a good tip? Um, Oh, and this can definitely apply to life. Don't act in emotions. I mean, it's just the same reason why it's like a good or bad, like don't just like settle for like 20 minutes. Um, but if it's going to be like a big change, like a haircut, a, a short, long to short or, you know, black to blonde, like you don't have to do it the next day. Like just because it came to you today, uh, <laughs> get done tomorrow um that sounds like yeah so many times times where someone would come back to be like I want to go back to what I was I want to go back to what I was will you put in extensions or will you just dye it black again that's it that's it it's it's so difficult I like making choices when I'm up like when I'm feeling up and excited but the longer I do things especially if like something an offer comes in and you're mm-hmm. like, you start imagining how great it could be. Is there any harm in just taking the night? Yes. <laughs> Can you just write back, can I think about this for one night? Yes. I've never gotten a no to that question. Um, but then again, I've never been asked to defuse a bomb. 
I guess I'm in MacGruber mode. Um, and then we ask because we've gotten we we did emotional work, we did spiritual work, we talked about UFOs being real. Um, to the last question we always ask is, can you think of a time in your life, maybe you were a kid, maybe it was recently, where you laughed really, really, really hard? Where were you? What happened? Um, what comes to mind? Um, I want to give you some keywords. Maybe you're a kid and someone farted. Maybe you're in church and you're not supposed to, I know you didn't go to church, but maybe you're in a Catholic thing and you're not supposed to laugh. Um, maybe someone fell down. I'm sorry, but that's often one of them. Uh, it could also be a movie. It could also be, you mentioned that Keenan and Beck make you laugh a lot. Yes. The time you were close to breaking. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, you said it was a movie. Um, the hardest I remember, probably the first time I remember laughing really hard was when the um, alien pops out of the guy's stomach in Spaceballs and sings, hello, my daughter. <laughs> I remember for years, I mean, I probably took it into my teen years being like, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, That is great. Had you seen Alien when you saw that? When I had it, no. And I hadn't seen Star Wars either. So I actually thought Star Wars was a rip of Spaceballs when I... then that is the finest question I've ever asked as an interviewer, because that is a gem of a detail <laughs> that you thought Star Wars was spoofing space balls An alien got the whole alien in the belly thing from Mel Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what a gem. What a gem you are. I'm so glad to have met you. Me too. You're this, a gem too, Pete. Thank I, you. I really appreciate that. This was this was what I needed. I didn't know. I I didn't know much um, other than enjoying your work. We haven't met, so it's always a nice surprise to spend my morning this way. So thank you for taking the time. You got it. Would you end? We have the guest say the catchphrase. It's how we sign off. Okay. Um, unless you feel good, right? There's nothing we left hanging or anything. No, no, no. Okay, great. great. All good. So would you say keep it crispy? You can say it however you want, but uh, that's how you do it. We end with you saying, keep it crispy. Okay. Keep it crispy. (laughs) I like it. I liked it. I saw you on a bike. I'm in the house and you're letting me know it's time to come out and ride bikes. It sort of had a yell to it. it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Heidi. This was wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Stay safe. And I hope to see you next time I'm in New York. It'll be fun. Okay. Okay, bye bye. Bye. My team, I'm on the shoes, eight fifty. I'm so crispy, I'm so crispy. My ice.